Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And per usual, we have another fantastic guest. As you know, if you've been following us, this podcast celebrates Black excellence all across the world. This episode is no different. Today, our our guest is Nataki Hudson. Hi. All right. <laughs> Say hello to the world. Hello, everybody. All right. So we're going to get started just um, learning a little about little bit about who you are. So tell the world a little bit about Nataki. Well, I was um, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I went to Detroit Public Schools, uh, Cass Technical High School I graduated from. (laughs) Then I attended the University of Michigan. Go Blue. Yes. And where I studied engineering there. Um, And then I also attended Lawrence Tech for um, master's in engineering and a business there and since I've been out in Pennsylvania I live outside of Philadelphia now I've been here for about 11 years working worked as an engineer for about 20 years and then recently more recently I started a business and been um, a business for the last four years okay all right, so excellent. Uh, your roots are back here in Detroit, you said. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what, what part of Detroit did you grow up in? Well, I grew up off Seven Mile and between the Lodge and Greenfield. Oh, West Side. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. And then I lived off Eight Mile and Greenfield right before I moved. Um, as an adult, that's where I bought a home and I lived there until I moved to Pennsylvania. Okay. Interesting. Um, so, you know, this is a, a global podcast and we're here and uh, we're from Detroit and us Detroiters know there's a distinction between West Side and East Side. So let's let's engage a little bit about that. You grew up on the West Side and I grew up on the East Side. What do West Siders typically think of us East Siders? Well, I'm kind of maybe different though than most Westsiders because we moved downtown when I was in about 13. So one of my high school years, I um I lived downtown, but I also attended Miller Middle School okay. and uh, Whitney Young Middle School for like that last part of my eighth grade. So I'm very familiar with the East Side <laughs> and East Side folks. <laughs> okay. All right. So we are right by, by you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm both, but I grew up on the west side, but I have lots of friends from the east side. Okay. Yeah. So the world just needs to know there is a distinction uh, in Michigan when we talk about Detroiters, east side and west side. We'll we'll leave it there. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get into the business aspect of what you do. And so there's a business by the name of Come For Care. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about that in your role. Okay. 
So Comfort Care, it was actually started um, by a guy, Mark Armstrong, in uh, Bloomfield Hills in 1996. And he, uh, the business uh, was growing so fast. It was um, originally just only uh, senior care, helping with activity days of daily living, bathing, dressing, grooming, errands, doctor's appointments, that type of thing. But it was such a huge demand that he was unable to service himself. And so he began franchising the organization in 2001. So um, right now, Comfort Care Nationwide, we have 200 and I think we're up to 30 offices around the country. I purchased um, the territory outside of Philly, um, you know, where I live basically about four years ago. And um, since then, I've just been building the territory, growing it. We're actually one of the fastest growing offices in the system. And um, now we've expanded. We're also doing nursing services. And so it's good. I mean, coming along nicely. Okay. So you are president of, a fran of one of the franchises for Comfort Care. Um, you got it started four years ago, and you're building on it. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the services that are offered at Comfort Care. So we deal with um, people who tend to have chronic illnesses, uh, more than two or more comorbidities. Um, so they may have uh, diabetes, uh, CHF, congestive heart failure. They are prone to falls. Oftentimes uh, we usually get called in when there's been an event, you know, like a fall or hospitalization, um, a hip replacement, um, something not good has happened typically when a family calls us in to help them with their loved one. We also deal with uh, younger people who, you know, maybe have has a trach or a feeding tube and they need nursing care. So we provide on a daily basis, an LPN or RN to service someone who wants to live at home. They want, they don't want to live in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. You can have a nurse come into your home and, you know, provide the same level of care that you would get if you were living in a nursing home or just to give your loved ones a break. Because oftentimes if people have, you know, a serious disability or intellectual disability that are really severe, um, the family end up, ends up being the caregiver and then they don't get a break. So this, this is where we come in. We get a lot of families where um, we have like a, a client. He's in his 40s. His mom has been his caregiver since he was born and she needs a break. So, you know, she brings the nurse in 12 hours a day during the day to take care of her child. And then, you know, that way she can get some time off. So those are okay. the type of clients we typically deal with. So yeah. they're very long term often. Or if they're seniors, then sometimes they're more short-term if they're like on hospice or something like that. Okay. So you're really providing a service for families, for their loved ones. You're helping out the loved one that's you know, having some issues from a health perspective while assisting the family with relieving them with that response of that responsibility. Yes. Uh, you know, at least for moments at times. Right. If they have family. Some people don't have family. And so the caregiver that comes to their home on a daily basis is really the, the person that takes care of them and looks after them and their only connection sometimes to being outside 
you know, because they don't typically go a lot of places, not most of our clients, some clients, but mm-hmm. most of them are not getting out on a daily basis, even pre-pandemic. Yeah. So I'm curious, what what drew you into this particular field? So when I was, I mean, I had a pretty good career as an engineer, yeah. um, but I did a lot of traveling. So I had done work in product development. I was working in supply chain um, and procurement. And so the last role that, well, maybe not the last role, but the more recent roles I had, I was traveling anywhere between 30 and 50%. And, you know, which is a lot. And I have a family. So when I first started, that wasn't really that important. It was fun. And, you know, I could go see the world. I lived uh, in Paris for a while and, you know, travel China. You don't get to do all types of things. So it was fun. But after I got married and had um, started having a family, it wasn't um, a good fit anymore. So I started thinking about what could I do to um, have more freedom. And so initially what I was thinking, which is not necessarily true, but I was thinking that if I (laughs) own my own business, I would, you know, have freedom. I can make choices. It's a local business. You know, we don't exceed our territory. So, you know, I don't have to worry about traveling and I could be home and have flexibility. It seemed like um, a good idea at the time. Not that it's a bad idea, but it's not what I thought it was, just so you know. Okay, so I think what I heard there was um, you thought it was going to allow you a little more time, flexibility, and freedom. And um, at least at this point in the game, you haven't seen seen that kind of being redeemed by you. Well, it was the first maybe year and a half. You know, it was a real ride. I mean, we didn't have, even though it's part of a franchise, it's not like McDonald's. You know, no one's just because you open up and you put a sign out, no one's going to come knocking on your door. So I was aware that, you know, it's really a sales and marketing business. You know, it so happens that we provide home care, you know, to seniors primarily, but it's really sales and marketing. So I knew I would have to get out there and market the business, but that's just the that's the easy part really i mean getting out there and marketing the services much needed so that wasn't that difficult but you know then you start it becomes a lot more complex once you start bringing in people once you you know have clients that you have to service who have needs and even though it's not medical it's very technical and coming from engineering and product development it was no drawings or anything that i was familiar with <laughs> I, you know, it was totally a complete learning process um, from the beginning. So, I mean, in a, in a way, it was good. It was from the ground up. You know, we had zero clients when we started, so I could learn, you know, kind of slowly. But at the same time, it was a lot of new information. I just had, I just didn't know anything about it. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I find interesting because in the engineering field, you know, it's totally different from what you're doing now. You decide, you know, I'm settling down a little bit. There's a plethora of things you can choose from, right? How do you end up in home care? So a couple of things. <laughs> One, I had, it was a, a snow day here in Pennsylvania. And 
the phone rang and it happened to be like a headhunter for franchises. Okay. So he said, hey, I can do, um, and I don't know how he got my name. I don't know if I put, filled out something somewhere, but he said, hey, I can do an assessment, you know, maybe give you some ideas. Have you thought about owning your own business? Mm. And I said, well, if he said it's free. I said, fine. So I answered some questions. He came back with five business ideas that he thought okay. would be a good fit for me. Um, and it was a variety of things. One, of course, was home, senior home care. Um, he came back with like junk things, you know, where you go clear out junk from people's houses with a truck. Mm-hmm. Came back with um, an ad advertising business that was like put monitors or TV screens like in a dentist's office. I'm sure you've probably seen that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was a few different ideas. And the senior care really up with me because my grandmother is uh, 91 years old. She's had uh, home care and caregivers outside of our family for about 13 or 14 years now. So I'm very familiar with all of the stories. If I call her right now, she's going to tell me about her caregiver, you know. So I was very familiar with the industry, about the need. Um, and so it really, you know, hit home for me because I do live in Pennsylvania. When I live in Detroit, I live five minutes away from my grandmother. So I was over there all the time. I probably was the closest person to them in terms of coming over there whenever they needed. So it really, you know, it was close to my heart, basically, is how, and then, you know, it's a, it's a good business, you know, so, and I did study business and I think I do have a good business acumen. So when I evaluated it, it was a good business. Okay. That's what I was looking for. I knew it was a personal story in there somewhere. So <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm patting myself on the back for kind of asking enough questions to get to that. All right. So let's talk about comfort care. What what separates comfort care from you know other services like yours out there? Well, I mean, there are a lot of uh, competitors who provide similar service and it would be probably good service, you know. But I think what makes my office different in general is just the connection that I have with my team, my employees, with our clients. You know, I'm I, especially before. I mean, now we're a lot busier. But because I was, I did all the initial marketing things like that. I was out in the community. I would do bingo. I would, you know, bring things for them. We play games. Um, I in all of the buildings, senior buildings in this area, they all know me. So, you know, that's what was different about us. So if someone mm-hmm. calls and say, you know, hey, you know, we want care. And I'm saying, who is it? Oh, okay. I know her from bingo, you know. So being in touch with the community has really helped our business and just knowing and having our, our hands on the pulse. And the same with our employees, you know, being able to, relate to a lot of them, a lot of um, my office staff, being able to relate to them, empowering them, giving them opportunities and responsibilities that maybe they wouldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. I think that has made a big difference in my office and you know, with my team in particular, being able to retain people because it's a high turnover business in, in general. But we have a great team, some people, uh, one of my caregivers, she's been with me basically since the beginning with my first client. She's still with me now. Wow. Just being able to retain them and, you know, relate to them and, and keep them working. You can keep their pockets, you know, with money in. 
excellent. Excellent. All right. So I think one of the questions that I have now is, so you branch off into a business, right? It's really entrepreneurial. I'm always fascinated about entrepreneurial mindset as somebody who went to school to work in a particular field, got into that particular field and is still currently working in that field. Entrepreneurs always uh, impress me at the risk taking that it takes. So that's one part I want to have you talk a little bit about just kind of that mindset to become an entrepreneur, you know, to jump into that business arena. But then also I think about perhaps as an African-American woman, what kind of additional challenges comes with that, that risk. Talk a little bit about the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset, and then talk about the, the challenges you may have faced from a gender and race perspective. So I grew up in a family with entrepreneurs. So I always knew that um, I wanted to have some type of business. Okay. I guess the, like my grandmother owned a store, a clothing store, on, used to be on Seven Mile Road um, back in the day. So I grew up going there every day after school. So I was really familiar with, you know, businesses or owning a business. It's different though, because this type of business is so intense. You know, it's, it, it's very intense. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, it's licensing. Like, it's just a lot that goes into it. Um, so I wasn't, I didn't know necessarily what I was getting into. But, you know, I knew that I wanted to have some type of business and um, be a business owner. My goal always was not to be the talent in the business. Okay. So that was really important to me. I wanted to have a business where if I wasn't there, it could still make money. Okay. So that was important. It was a big risk. I saved all of my money basically for many years. It's pretty expensive to buy into any of these franchises, really. I mean, that's a big deal for most people, especially African-Americans. You know, you need several hundred thousand dollars to buy into anything, you know, really. So and figuring out what the best, especially one that's going to generate, you know, a nice amount of money. They do yeah. have franchises that start at 10000 or, you know, a lot more affordable, but you're not going to make nearly as much money. Yeah. So I did. I, since I knew that I wanted to, to, to buy a business, I was aggressively saving money. I mean, I didn't know what the business was going to be, but I was saving for it. So I did that for many years for this. Um, but it was risky, and and that's one reason why I was so aggressive. Once we did open the doors, it's because you know I walked away from a job, you know, where I was, you know, making you know really good salary, yeah. and you know I had two kids, and you know so now we're down to one income. So it seemed like a good idea, but it wasn't. The phone wasn't ringing, you know. <laughs> I'm out knocking on doors, and they're like, "No, thank you," you know. And I do think that being African American. I mean, the area where I live at is we're about 20 minutes. Well, no, we're about 20 miles. And, and miles in Pennsylvania is not like Michigan. If you're 20 miles from somewhere in Michigan, that's 20 minutes. Yeah. But 20 miles in Pennsylvania is about 45 minutes. So we're about 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia. So it's, and it's not really that diverse. I mean, in the pockets of some of the towns, you'll find um, some 
Latino and um, African American people, but the majority of the people in this area are white. Okay. Um, so me not being from this area, because I don't, the people who are from this community, the African Americans, they all know each other. They don't know, you know, or they did. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit challenging. And then being outside of the industry, the other thing, this senior industry is very incestuous. So people go from one nursing home to the next nursing home, you know, one senior community to the next senior community from the senior center over to this other senior furniture store. I mean, it's they're all they all know each other. Um, so I was completely an outsider. Uh, in that regard as well and then you know they didn't, it was no connection culturally you know so um it was a little bit challenging i think initially being able to get the opportunity um but the honestly what turned the tide for my business i started getting clients was i connected with the african-american um he was like a social worker they they are having this area and he started giving me clients and that turned the tide completely, basically. Um, and then that's why I'm out in the community. I talk to other comfort care offices around and they're like, what are you doing today? And I said, oh, I'm going to host bingo. And they're like, bingo? Like, <laughs> why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, that's where the people are who need the services, yeah. you know? So I did. I do think that I, you know, had to approach it a little bit differently uh, and maybe a little more aggressively than some of the other offices. And then honestly, now we get off clients, they sign on with us and they realize that we're a black office and they they, they terminate services. You know, we've had that several times, you know, but most of our clients, you know, they're fine with us. They love their caregiver, they don't care, but we have other clients, you know, who they have a problem with it, or maybe they don't have a problem with the office per se, but they have a problem with having an African-American caregiver. You know, wow. have clients who have their preferences on who they want in their home. And, you know, I'm not naive about that. So we just cater to them. We we find the caregiver that fits, you know, their preference and we send them over there. Plus, we don't want to make our caregivers uncomfortable. Yeah. But it is a reality, you know, and it is a challenge. But, you know, we just work harder like we always do. All right. So great. Uh, I mean, that's a lot there. That was uh, some of the things I was interested in hearing, you know, so there's a couple of things that I put together, just listening to you. The fact that you were, you were at a moment where you were at this crossroads and then you get this call from a headhunter. <laughs> to me, that's a, some divinity working there. Yeah, for sure. And you, you're in Philadelphia, you don't really know anybody, but the business that you get into requires you to get to know people, you know, and it allows you to, to get kind of what you, you're missing in the organic nature that it takes to get it. You know what I mean? So to me, I, I see some divinity kind of tied in with that. So, so let's talk about, um, we talked about challenges. What would you say are some of the success stories uh, related to, you know, um, your, maybe your personal story or, or your, per, your story with regards to comfort care? So comfort care, it is a success in that, you know, we've been able to build the business to a level, you know, where, you know, it's comfortable. You know, I'm not stressed out like I was. I mean, maybe stressed in a different way, but not, you know, am I going to eat in, you know, in a couple <laughs> weeks, stressed out. 
So it's a success in that regard. It's a success in that it is allowed me to connect with, you know, other women. You know, most of our uh, my staff, I have about 81 right now and 78 are women. Wow. Being able to connect with other women to give them an opportunity um, I talked to one of the young girls yesterday and she, you know, I, I needed a favor for, from her to work. And she said, I'm going to go on and do it. I love you guys, you know, and I want to get my own place. <laughs> I said, okay, so we're going to keep you working because we're going to get you a place, you know. So being able to put them in a position where they can be uh, self-sufficient, they can be independent, you know, and take care of their families. You know, I think that has been the biggest um, reward. You know, I do love being able to help seniors, but I enjoy more being able to help the women who work for me. Yeah. That's been really the most fulfilling part of it. Um, and to see how much, I mean, because it is a labor-driven business, but just how much money, you know, the company has been able to put back into the community. You know, I think that's been, that's what I've gotten the most out of, really, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, so I know, um, you know, we kind of talked uh, when we started talking via email. It was almost like you were concerned about, well, I'm just working my job. Or, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, podcast worthy, but, you know, I, I'm excited about this episode because you talked about your family being entrepreneurial and how that was always kind of stuck, stuck in the back of your mind, I would say. And there's a lot of people out there who don't have that family lifestyle, but stories like this can be inspirational for them. And then you said you had 81 staff members and 78 of them are women. I mean, you're, you're impacting so many lives by living your life the way you're doing it. So I just want to thank you for coming on to the, uh, the podcast. You are definitely worthy of uh, what we're trying to do with Black Excellence. Thank you. All right, so I want to lighten it up a little bit. All right, so there's one final question that we typically ask our guest. Uh, have you ever been on a magazine cover? No, I have not. All right, so, but you did mention being uh, in a magazine before. Mm -hmm. What magazine was that? I was in Ebony Magazine. Okay, and you were featured in Ebony Magazine. And that's quite the accomplishment, but now you're on the cover of Dripping in Black. Tell us what you think. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. All right. So that's our parting gift to all of our guests uh, for coming out. We place you on our cover. Uh, we will get that to you. And uh, again, thank you for coming out and sharing your story. All right, Nataki Hudson, we thank you for coming out again. And, uh, oh, there is one final question that I didn't ask. What's next for you? If you, had, if you had a wish to take maybe your company to the next level or to take yourself to an another level, what would that wish be? Can you give us that? Um, well, I definitely am going to continue growing the business with the, the everything that's going on right now and the pandemic. It's a huge opportunity for us because everyone wants to stay out of the hospital. 
Mm-hmm. So we are hiring and growing and taking on new clients every day. We're busier than ever. So that's going to continue. Personally, I just would like um, more time for myself, really. You know, this last few years, it's been very busy, you know, with the business, you know, with the kids and homeschooling and all of that. So just being able to continue to grow and develop, you know, the business where I'm not, you know, in it all the time where I can have a little more freedom. What my initial goal was originally, I would like to get to that point where I can still run the business, but be able to have some of the freedom time-wise I was uh, going for initially. So it's just taking a little longer than I thought. Okay. Do you think that's really just a a matter of time or is it uh, a certain benchmark that you need to get to? To actually get to that place? Um, I am reorganizing right now. So I am uh, taking some things off of my plate and, you know, getting uh, some consulting services and kind of outsourcing a few things to free up more time. So things that I don't have to be involved in, I don't have any problem with delegating um, to someone else. So it's, it's just hard though when you are a new business and you're growing um, because things happen and change so fast you know a lot of times you just can't react as fast as you need to so you get overwhelmed you know kind of quickly so we're reorganizing and we're kind of transitioning so we'll be poised to go to the next level um without you know so much of my um sweat right so again we thank you uh for coming out sharing your story with us and we'll be following your story and hoping you get that leisure time that you're searching for. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> All right. So we'll uh, ask everybody else to kind of stick with us. We're going to go into our final segment, The Last Drip. But again, thanks to Nataki Hussin for coming on. Up next, The Last Drip. But first, a message from Anchor. A dripping in black thanks to Nataki Hudson for sharing her inspiring journey from engineer to entrepreneur. It was great to hear how she was able to leverage a good career as an engineer into franchisee and president of a growing home care business. However, we have reached the final segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. The last drip is the last opportunity for us to squeeze in a bit more black excellence for you. In this final segment, we highlight a common thread between our guests and our vast and rich African-American history. For this episode, guided by Nataki's first career as an engineer, we focus on the remarkable career and legacy of one Hattie Scott Peterson. She was born Hattie Scott in Norfolk, Virginia to Hattie and Uzel Scott on October 11th, 1913. To date, very little has been written about Hattie's years from birth up and through her 20s. In 1943, she married Donald Charles Peterson, thereby becoming Hattie Scott Peterson. In 1946, she graduated from the prestigious Howard University with a Bachelor's of Science in Civil Engineering. 
She is believed to be the first black woman to earn a bachelor's degree in civil engineering. In 1947, she was hired by the U.S. Geological Survey, and she worked there for seven years. In 1954, she became the first woman engineer with the Sacramento District of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. She would serve a long and distinguished career with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and throughout her career, Hattie became a known advocate for women interested in engineering careers. Hattie would go on to live to the ripe young years of 79. However, even posthumously, Hattie Peterson is still blazing a trail for others as she and her husband left Howard University an endowment fund for scholarships, a fund that still exists today. Also, the Sacramento District of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers presents an annual award in Hattie's honor, the Hattie Peterson Inspirational Award. This award was created to recognize an employee who exemplifies Hattie Peterson's integrity and professional qualities. Hattie Scott Peterson's many firsts in the field of engineering helped pave the way for women to become engineers in this country, like our guest, Nataki Hudson, and many, many others. She is truly an unsung trailblazer in African-American history. And also, she is this episode's last drip. For more on Hattie Scott Peterson, check out represent365.com, library.ca.gov, peoplepeel.com, usace.army.mil, and qk4.com. My thanks to all of these websites for the knowledge. One of the joys of the last drip for me is giving myself the opportunity to dig into our vast and rich African-American history and learn more and more and more every time. It is out there for us to learn for those of us who seek it, despite the fact that our school systems don't seem to value it as we should. So I implore you to do some digging on your own in your own time and bone up on your African-American history. But as always, I'll leave you with be good, be good, be good. It truly is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.